Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 182. Today is Sunday, the 14th of February, 2016. Happy Valentine. This interview is with Julie Legault, a designer out of MIT Media Lab, who makes scientific and technological innovations approachable to the public. With a background in interactive art and wearable tech, Julie has created Amino One, which she refers to as a Tamagotchi for synthetic biology. A Tamagotchi, of course, is a a Japanese term used for handheld digital pets. An Edexpo 2016 award winner, I caught up with Julie to find out more about the Amino Lab, how important and relevant design has been in the creation of this project, and how she plans to help people to create insulin and fragrances at home, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. I have a charming lady from my old town of Montreal, Julie Legault. How, who is with us in Paris for the NetExplo 2016 forum and is one of the top 10 winners uh, for NetExplo 2016. So, Julie, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is Amino, and what's your mindset? All right. Um, so, I'm the founder of Amino Labs, and we, what we have is a personal bio lab. And this allows you to learn what bioengineering is and also helps you create with it. So, I'm a designer for the last 10 years. I've worked in design, wearable technology, that sort of thing. And then uh, I was at MIT for my graduate studies, and I got into a workshop where we actually did synthetic biology, and we didn't need to know anything for it, which was amazing. So in two or three days, me and 10 of my colleagues created this violescent bacteria. It's a protein, and basically it's a nice purple color, but it's also an anti-cancer compound, which is amazing. So in three days, without knowing anything about science, I actually didn't like science when I was a kid, um, I created that, and it was amazing. And once I wanted to replicate this experience or learn a bit more about it, I found that there's a really high barrier to entry to bioengineering if you're not working with a kit sort of idea. Mm -hmm. So I was working, um, the workshop was by Symbiota, and they do kits that are all the DNA to learn easily. And then uh, the scientists came and explained it to us. So it was a really privileged environment. But what happened was I was so excited about what you can do with bioengineering and how important it is. But it also helped me understand what GMOs are and all of those really impactful, yes, yeah, genetically modified organism, what they are and how they can be good and bad. And it really opened up my eyes to everything that was going on right now uh, in the world. And I thought it would be great if everyone could have that experience. I was privileged. I was at MIT. I had the teachers. I had the science. But if when I looked more into what was necessary in terms of equipment, I found that thanks to the miniaturization of electronics and things like Arduino and you know easy fabrication, we could build a box that had everything you needed and then had instructions so you can get rid of the scientist, yeah. although we still have one on our team. Um, yeah, <laughs> but then you could do it all at home, and it just you know it was one of those things that are like well. Why isn't everyone doing this? Like, what's going on? Well, there's always going to be something around the corner. So tell us, Julie, what is your mindset? 
Um, right now, I'm pretty excited, a little jet lag. <laughs> um, but we just uh, finished, we were in an incubator in Silicon Valley called IndieBio, and we just finished that last week with a big demo day, and I'm really proud. It went really well. Right. We had great uh, feedback from industry and from just regular people. So does that, come, does that come with financing as well? It does. <laughs> yes, thankfully it did. Mm -hmm. And that's helped us get to this point where we're building our own units. So we sold about 50 on crowdfunding and now we're making them. So next to my bed is like a bandsaw and a sandblasting cabinet, which, um, yeah, so right now we're fundraising so I can move that out of my bedroom. Great. So listen, I want to get back to MIT because, uh, Julie, you did say things like, I'm not a scientist. Uh, you're a designer, it seems, uh, in, in your background. Designer, MIT, you got to just help me understand that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. So at MIT, there's actually a program, well, it's an institution, I guess, uh, called the Media Lab. And sure. that's where I did my graduate research. And um, so I'm a designer, but I did do electronics. I, I did do a tiny bit of programming. Um, but I'm really good at building objects and bringing together technology and something that's desirable for the public, hence the wearables. So I did a two-year master's in goldsmithing just to understand how to make electronics beautiful. So there's dedication in there. <laughs> but um, And that's how I ended up at the Media Lab. And Joey Ito, he's the director yeah, of the sure. lab, he believes in merging all disciplines together. Mm -hmm. So they're happy to get goldsmiths and programmers and I mean and, and, and frankly that's a lot something that most companies should be thinking about is merging in the diversity of opinions diversity of backgrounds diversity of tasks makes for exciting thing of course is Leo Bonani who's here from MIT Media Labs um, one of the things that struck me in your presentation uh, this afternoon was the you have an obvious appeal to the beauty of what you're doing and dealing with. So germs and bacteria doesn't really normally sound uh, attractive, but you, you, you're, you seem to have a real passion for bringing it, making it attractive. Talk, tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do there. Yeah, well, um, so the first time I did the workshop, and I still don't remember how I ended up in the workshop itself. Um, it yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, I ended up in the workshop, and all, we were making this anti-cancer compound and that's great but what really really impressed me was the violet color it was mm -hmm. and I was just I wanted to use it for something I was like well why are we leaving these on a plate we could be doing a million things with this and then I learned that you could create the scent of banana with it and mm -hmm. wintergreen mint vanilla and so I was really inspired by what we can do just mm -hmm. for fun and I think the idea of beauty and finding the beauty in something that's kind of gross um makes it that people will be more desire like desire it more and they'll be more willing to interact with it and engage with it and i don't know i think there's a dan don norman he he has a famous book that says beautiful things work better and i think it's true you'll be more attracted to something that you think looks good mm, well i mean certainly if you think about uh, mr jobs attention to the inside of his picket fence being painted white and all that and the inside of the car and the inside of an iPhone which we can't look at the inside beauty that we don't even get to see but it, it's important for the people who are working on it to have that opportunity is that something that sort of inspires you? Um, yeah definitely we do look at the model of how Apple II went into schools and how they brought um, uh, computers like personal computers to the mainstream and that was because they it was beautiful product but it was also beautiful how they painted it as something you can use in the home and if you look at the old adverts from 
Apple, which is something I do now, and they're really, really, really painting the picture that you can use it in the home. And, it, you know, they're, they have these slogans like kids can't wait when they went into schools and all of those things. But because PCs are kind of gross, you know, the, the regular one kind of... And I think it's important if you want to have something in the home, it needs to look good. That's why people spend thousands on furniture mm -hmm. when, you know, just a regular chair would do. Yeah. Well, because these, these will have the objective of being within in homes. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, they, they need to take up space. You're going to put them on a shelf. They might as well have some attractive appeal. So um, the way you're doing it, as I understand it, as I listen to you, was that you're rolling it out in modules. You're sort of setting it up for a certain style of usage. Talk us about how you're doing that, what you're doing. Yeah, so, um, well, we are shipping out the first 50 in March, and those went to families, to professional, and to institutions, and we wanted, uh, we limited the campaign to 50 because we wanted a solid user base to understand how our product works, what people actually want to do with it, and so on and so forth. Um, but then we're going to be rolling out into schools because we think that it's really important that the public is ready to do bioengineering at home because I could go out and, you know, try and sell this to families right now, but most people wouldn't understand. They'd be scared, and rightfully so. It's not something we've had the chance to encounter before. So we think that going through schools with kids coming back home and being like, Mom, I engineered a yeast. Isn't this great? Can we bake with it? Um, that will give some context to the families. And so this year we're doing pilot products in schools. And also at the same time, um, biotechnology, there's going to be a lot of jobs coming up in biotechnology in the next 10, 20 years. I think it's one of the highest uh, growing fields, that and nanotech and um, in STEM education. But right now there's no tools for schools that are not necessarily less privileged, but just mm -hmm. have less money, less space, mm -hmm. because to bioengineer, you need a lot of equipment. And so what we've done is we've basically made it easy for mm -hmm. a kid to have this on his desk. And the model we have is four kids per amino, which is convenient um, and it's based on the model that science classes have at the moment for mm -hmm. kids per table mm -hmm. type of thing. And then once um, we're in schools and the word gets out and families are less scared, then we're going to start engineering um, the kits, the applications that are for more for home use, like the yeast that you can bake with. We're going to partner up with breweries to make the yeast for brewing beer or wine and i think that could be certainly interesting for the kids <laughs> yeah no that's totally for kids but then that's where it starts getting more interesting for adults to have and then we have cosmetics that you can do and in the long run there's also medicine but in terms of rolling out for the medicine we want to make sure that it's something that the fda approves we want to make sure we do it properly because there's precedence of people trying to do bioengineering and then having something not work and being blocked by the government and we want to make sure that it's something that's safe i want to want to get to those uh, topics in a second, but we you you mentioned uh, the artist app. So as I understood it, you had sort of well with the fifty that you sold, mm -hmm. can you do everything, or is it just one brick at a time? So with the fifty that we sold, the hardware platform is um, generic, if you will. You can do any of the apps we have. Uh, right now, which is two, so it's not a big deal. But in the future, you'll be able to do the other apps as well in the same hardware, except you'll need modules. So if we're talking about um, yeast for baking or brewing, you'll need to purify it. So that just means that you'll need to have a little purifying module and quality control module. Does that mean a Bunsen will, burner and a beaker? What does that mean? Um, it's just a little, yeah, it's basically filters and chemicals that break open the cells and then take out the pigment, or not the pigment, um, the vitamins or whatever. 
And so, but these will plug into the older version of Aminos. Maybe the newer versions of Amino will have it integrated. But yeah, so right now we're looking at manufacturing in larger quantities. So something. Obviously, at 50, we're not talking scale and economies of scale and factory lines. But what does the price look like? How are you pricing it? Right now, it's uh, $7.99 when we build it ourselves. Um, we actually sold some of the Indiegogo campaign ones. We're a little bit cheaper, and we're absorbing the sure. costs. <laughs> um, but we're hoping that once we do larger-scale manufacturing, I want it. I want there to be a unit that's just a couple hundred dollars that's cheap enough for you to give mm-hmm. to your kid for Christmas so that they can at least get mm-hmm. like a sense of it. And I think... It, when you're a kid, what you do actually influences what you become later. So I played um, a lot with a little chemistry set, even though I hate science. Not Well, okay. Sort of hate science. <laughs> but anyways. You're not your traditional scientist, right, put it that way. Right, let's Let's say that. But, um, yeah, so that was something that I played with, and I think it influenced the way I want to create now with mm-hmm. hands-on mm-hmm. learning. All right, so I'm going to just slip right into the topic of women in science. So uh, as a woman at MIT, I can't imagine you in the majority, but I may be wrong. Uh, how important or what kind of role, without being sexist, has, have, has you being a woman had in the creation of this project? Um, I think me being a designer was more important than being a woman at MIT. I was lucky that in the media lab, we're about 30, 70 in terms of women. And I had all of my best friends were women. So there was a lot in my year. And I actually had a great um, advisor that's Natalie Caldell. And she was in the bioengineering department. And she's an amazing woman. She used to be a ballerina wow. or a dancer. Mm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But, and she does synthetic biology and she teaches teachers how to include it in the curriculum. And so I guess I've been lucky in the sense that I've always had powerful women around me. And I've never really seen it as a, a thing mm-hmm. to be a woman in mm-hmm. science or tech. But that's also because I come from design and goldsmithing, which in goldsmithing class, we were there were two men for 16 girls. Oh, wow. So, you know, I'm used to right. <laughs> weird uh, gender balances. But I think, um, I think the way that we've built Amino that's application-based s- appeals more to, maybe more to women. Or at least, I mean, obviously there's the girls at school right. and then other applications where we're talking about maybe cosmetics specifically possibly medication but there's a possible more of a female tone to that. yeah definitely the apps i'm more excited about are maybe more female centric so there's cosmetics so we found a way to make retinol with it which i'm excited about right. and there's like the perfume i'm so excited to make perfumes with it which may not be something a boy will be that yeah. interested in well, I mean, although some boys yeah we're you know sex or generous generalization being what they yeah. are all right so let's talk now then about the the uh the idea of insulin i, I have particular interest in that and, uh, you know, it really is flabbergasting this idea that at home I could create my own insulin. So how does that happen and how close to reality is that? Right. So right now in labs, insulin is created in the same type of machine that amino is, which is called a bioreactor and it's produced in yeast cells. And in the world right now, I think there's only two or three places that actually make insulin. So it's really worrisome to think if anything happens mm-hmm. to those giant bioreactors 
then you know mm. it would be a problem for a lot of people. So that's why we're thinking about distributed medicine. And also, some mm. countries don't have access to the distribution channels we have in America or in Europe. And so it's important. You know, you can imagine having one bioreactor in the village, and then that creates medicine for everyone mm -hmm. that's around it. And um, in terms of how close to reality we are, well, the open source insulin. Has actually been open source for the last 20 years, but this year has been a big push mm -hmm. on how you can create it. And we're talking to the guys, uh, Ryan Bethancourt of IndieBio and his partner. And I was just at IndieBio, just graduated from it. So we're talking with them about creating insulin in amino. And we can do this right now. The only problem and what amino is worried about is the purification and quality control. And so I could create a batch of insulin right now, but I'm not going to tell you to inject it mm -hmm. because it's not been quality controlled. Mm -hmm. It's sure. not been purified. Mm -hmm. So those are things that we need to think about. And especially if we start talking about larger scale, mm -hmm. then we need to speak to the right authorities, like the FDA or whoever, <laughs> whoever's mm -hmm. in charge. Um, to make sure people are safe. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're talking FDA, uh, we're talking a lot of hopes and ho hopes and uh, barriers yeah. because the lobbies are going to start playing and who are you to be undercutting my patent and all that, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a concern of the big pharmaceutical companies. But right now the pathway is open source and there's a lot of debates actually going on right now if DNA can be patented or it should be open to everyone. Right. And so those are questions that we're interested to get the public involved with. Mm -hmm. And once you start telling people you could be making your own insulin and they'll have questions and they'll have opinions about who it actually belongs to. And it's something that's saving lives. So it shouldn't belong to mm -hmm. one company. And there's um, in the media, there was recently that guy, I don't remember right. his name, who, yeah, the, who scalped everybody yeah. 500 bucks instead of 18 or whatever it was. Yeah, the... It was HIV medication, I, or I, I, yeah. I, I don't remember. Anyways, he got, he got nailed for it yeah, he did, but, but he he still he still has a he mm. still has a pattern. So, you know what the hell? That's right. <laughs> you know, it's, it is fascinating this idea of open sourcing medication. Is is insulin particular in that regard? I mean, or are there a lot of other medications that whose molecules are perfectly aware, open to everybody? Well, um, so open source is quite particular in that that's one that the biohackers has um, focused on mm -hmm. because it's already created in giant bioreactors in companies and in yeast cells, and it's easy to do. Um, another one that's come out last year is op opiates. Ooh. So... <laughs> Yeah, so well, you that's going to get attention. <laughs> so you can make your own opiates with in yeast cells. Is, mm. I don't think that's protected mm, by anything. Sure. Well, it's probably not particularly legal, but it's no, not, it's not, not for, protected. No, it's not legal. But then there's morphine. Yeah, that's sure. legal. Yeah, needs yeah, it needs course. to be yeah, controlled. But yeah. yeah, so there are others. Um, of course, the ones that we hear about are the more controversial ones. Uh -huh. But I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. All right. So. Um, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how that one goes down. Of course, the I mean, there are the modern countries where the access is less the issue. I mean, you know, every Dwayne Reed in America mm -hmm. has one. Has you, of course, you have to go to see the doctor, get the prescription to get it, and that includes costs, and, and you have to go get the car. But there are other countries, parties of the world, where there isn't so much access to insulin, so the need yeah. could be bigger. 
uh, but the FDA kind of approvals are not there, yeah. so maybe that gives them better access, yet they don't have as much money. So that's an equation you have to battle with. Let's talk about fragrances and cosmetics. So the idea would be with your amino kit, which I have in front of me, and I'll post a photograph of it. You, are, you know, we could be making uh, Armani uh, fragrance. Yeah, if we found the pathways for the ingredients. So right now we're focusing mostly on pure uh, fragrances, if you will. Banana, rose oil, that sort of thing. And that's where most of the most of the fragrances company actually use synthetic versions of rose oil and so on and so forth. So we're focusing on these key ingredients and what's exciting to me is mixing them myself Mm -hmm. so you know a little bit of banana a little bit of vanilla i smell like a cupcake everyone's happy (laughs) and so personalized fragrance anyway exactly and there's a lot of uh, boutiques popping up with personalized fragrance anyways and there's a big desire for consumers to be unique and so that would be a great way to make your own unique Mm. fragrance um it's not to say that you couldn't copy um, Armani or sure. whoever DR, but then you need to have access to all those DNA mo- molecules. So we, I don't actually know the breakdown of those fragrances, but you need to have access to all of those and mix them in the right quantity. There, so there are certainly a lot of, or a number of uh, shops that provide uh, smell alike. Yeah. smell-alike fragrances, yeah, yeah. which may not have the 63 and a half uh, exact ingredients, but by virtue of having the 55 biggest, it's pretty close unless you're a nose from IFF or something like that. Yeah, I think, actually, I've never really thought about people doing knockoffs, but it would be super exciting for someone. So the what we hope with the DNA apps is that people start creating their own. And that's part of the reason we call them apps. I mean, they're application-based mm. kits. But also with the iPhone apps and the Google apps, people have started creating their own and sharing it. And we're hoping that the same thing happens with these DNA ones. And, of course, they'll be, just like the iPhone, a vetting process to make sure that they're safe and they actually work. But it would be amazing for some kid um, to start doing an Armani fragrance like his own and then sharing it. That would be hilarious. I I would suspect that the word sharing is okay. Selling might not be quite Mm, so cool. Um, You mentioned uh, this afternoon that you work with a number of other labs, makers labs and all Mm -hmm. that. Tell us about that because I think that's a world that many people don't really understand, this whole maker movement. So you've been doing a lot of relationships. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Maker Labs, uh, usually they're called Fab Labs, and it's something that comes out of MIT. MIT is always coming up with things. But it's actually um, just a community space where you have these machines. Usually there's a laser cutter, there's a 3D printer, um, sometimes there's woodworking tools. And the idea is that it's a community space for people who like making their own things, called them maker, DIYers, Mm -hmm. that sort of people, to come together and create products. There's usually a bunch of Arduinos, soldering equipment, and so on. And um, it's actually really cool to have that sort of community. And now they're in almost, I would say, every city. They're all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so um, the one thing that DIYers are now interested in is biohacking. Mm-hmm. So in the sure. last few years, people have started, you know, doing open source insulin, making their own tools for mm-hmm. biohacking. You can make a centrifuge so easily. Yeah. You need like the, uh, we did one with the computer fan motor because it goes fast enough. Mm. Like the fan for ventilation. Sure. It's so easy. It's a couple yeah. dollars. I was, I was at the one in Amsterdam or one of the ones in Amsterdam, so maybe others. Uh, and they were saying that they are able to parse out the female from the male egg and because wow. uh, it's in the egg right as opposed to the sperm yeah. um 
and and that brings up a whole number of other ethical questions, which presumably you're going to be faced with one way or the other as well. Yeah, I think um, so. We're partnering up with maker spaces because our kit is small and easy for them to have in the space um, so that they can start experimenting with growing different bacteria. But I think that, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm really happy to talk about ethics and let people have the tools to talk about it because that's one of the reasons I became a designer was to... Um, get people more in touch with what's going on in the science lab or the mm-hmm. technical labs, such you know, with the wearable tech and all that. Um, so I think it's going to be great if everyone has the chance to experience something and then there's an ethical question, then at least they'll know what they're talking about and they'll mm-hmm. feel like they can talk about it. So, Julie, lovely. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, how can someone track you down, follow you, sign up? What will be uh, sign up for the next Amino kit? Yeah, so actually you can buy it right now for shipping in the summer. So our website is amino.bio, A M I N O dot B I O. And my email is julie at amino.bio. We're also on Twitter at amino biolab. And I'm on Twitter at Julie Court. And um, yeah, if you go to our website, you'll find all that information. Thanks for coming on, Julie. See you soon. Have a bon voyage. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. Rid me of the grave and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me.
with all your favorite shades, and we paint it with our fingers to show the world the way we feel. Oh, oh, the way I feel. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 